Chapter One of the United Empire Loyalists, a Chronicle of the Great Migration. Volume Thirteen of the Chronicles of Canada. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roger Moline. The United Empire Loyalists by W. Stuart Wallace. Chapter One Introductory The United Empire Loyalists have suffered a strange fate at the hands of historians. It is not too much to say that for nearly a century their history was written by their enemies. English writers, for obvious reasons, took little pleasure in dwelling on the American Revolution, and most of the early accounts were therefore American in their origin. Anyone who takes the trouble to read these early accounts will be struck by the amazing manner in which the Loyalists are treated. They are either ignored entirely, or else they are painted in the blackest colors. So vile a crew the world ne'er saw before, and grant, ye pitying heavens, it may no more. If ghosts from hell infest our poisoned air, those ghosts have entered these base bodies here. So sang a ballad-monger of the Revolution, and the opinion which he voiced persisted after him. According to some American historians of the first half of the nineteenth century, the Loyalists were a comparatively insignificant class of vicious criminals, and the people of the American colonies were all but unanimous in their armed opposition to the British government. Within recent years, however, there has been a change. American historians of a new school have revised the history of the Revolution, and a tardy reparation has been made to the memory of the Tories of that day. Tyler, Van Tyne, Flick, and other writers have all made the amend honorable on behalf of their countrymen. Indeed, some of these writers, in their anxiety to stand straight, have leaned backwards, and by no one, perhaps, will the ultra-Tory view of the revolution be found so clearly expressed as by them. At the same time, the history of the revolution has been rewritten by some English historians, and we have a writer like Lecky declaring that the American Revolution was the work of an energetic minority who succeeded in committing an undecided and fluctuating majority to courses for which they had little love and leading them step by step to a position from which it was impossible to recede. Thus, in the United States and in England, the pendulum has swung from one extreme to the other. In Canada it has remained stationary, there, in the country where they settled, the United Empire Loyalists are still regarded with an uncritical veneration which has in it something of the spirit of primitive ancestor worship. The interest which Canadians have taken in the Loyalists has been either patriotic or genealogical, and few attempts have been made to tell their story in the cold light of impartial history, or to estimate the results which have flowed from their migration. Yet such an attempt is worthwhile making, an attempt to do the United Empire Loyalists the honor of painting them as they were, and of describing the profound and far-reaching influences 
which they exerted on the history of both Canada and the United States. In the history of the United States, the exodus of the Loyalists is an event comparable only to the expulsion of the Huguenots from France after the revocation of the Edict of Nantes. The Loyalists, whatever their social status, and they were not all aristocrats, represented the conservative and moderate element in the revolting states, and their removal, whether by banishment or disfranchisement, meant the elimination of a very wholesome element in the body politic. To this were due in part, no doubt, many of the early errors of the Republican finance, diplomacy, and politics. At the same time, it was a circumstance which must have hastened by many years the triumph of democracy. In the tenure of land, for example, the emigration produced a revolution. The confiscated estates of the great Tory landowners were in most cases cut up into small lots and sold to the common people, and thus the process of leveling and making more democratic the whole social structure was accelerated. On the Canadian body politic, the impress of the Loyalist migration is so deep that it would be difficult to overestimate it. It is no exaggeration to say that the United Empire Loyalists changed the course of the current of Canadian history. Before 1783, the clearest observers saw no future before Canada but that of a French colony under the British crown. Barring a catastrophe shocking to think of, wrote Sir Guy Carleton in 1767, this country must, to the end of time, be peopled by the Canadian race, who have already taken such firm root, and got to so great a height, that any new stock transplanted will be totally hid, except in the towns of Quebec and Montreal. Just how discerning this prophecy was, may be judged from the fact that even today it holds true with regard to the districts that were settled at the time it was written. What rendered it void was the unexpected influx of the refugees of the Revolution. The effect of this immigration was to create two new English-speaking provinces, New Brunswick and Upper Canada, and to strengthen the English element in two other provinces, Lower Canada and Nova Scotia so that ultimately the French population in Canada was outnumbered by the English population surrounding it. Nor should the character of this English immigration escape notice. It was not only English, but it was also filled with a passionate loyalty to the British crown. This fact serves to explain a great deal in later Canadian history. Before 1783, the continuance of Canada in the British Empire was by no means assured. After 1783, the imperial tie was well knit. Nor can there be any doubt that the coming of the Loyalists hastened the advent of free institutions. It was the settlement of Upper Canada that rendered the Quebec Act of 1774 obsolete, and made necessary the Constitutional Act of 1791 which granted to the Canada's representative assemblies. The Loyalists were Tories and Imperialists, but in the colonies from which they came, they had been accustomed to a very advanced type of democratic government, 
and it was not to be expected that they would quietly reconcile themselves in their new home to the arbitrary system of the Quebec Act. The French Canadians, on the other hand, had not been accustomed to representative institutions, and did not desire them. But when Upper Canada was granted an assembly, it was impossible not to grant an assembly to Lower Canada, too, and so Canada was started on that road of constitutional development which has brought her to her present position as a self-governing unit in the British Empire. End of chapter 1 Recording by Roger Moline